It's like Robinson and Gonzalez. It's all the yeah, same. Yeah, Robinson, Gonzalez, same thing, you know? You've seen one Gonzalez, you've seen them all. Just don't try and cash a check at the Home Depot because they have a list and, like, every Gonzalez is on it. I had that happen to me at a local grocery store, Publix. They're like, uh, this is back way, way, way back when I still use checks. They're like, uh, you have to wait a minute, Mr. Robinson. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, a, you... a lot of white people ripping us off here. You know? <laughs> They're like, are you William Robinson? I'm like, yes. Can I... I showed him my license. And I'm like, oh, well, there's been a William Robinson that's been writing bad checks. I'm like, really? Well, that's me. <laughs> yeah. So? <laughs> I have to Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> I know. These things, they're rubber. They're great. Oh, the days. <laughs> Decks, I tell you, God love them. I know. I actually had someone not too long ago actually writing a check, and I'm just looking, going, "What? What did I slip in? A, did I step through a portal? Yeah. What? What? What happened here? Is this you, is this a general store? What is this? <laughs> let me guess. It was like eighty, right? Here, let me dig out my gold nuggets. And hey, I, I pay for some things with checks. Oh, then again, I'm like eighty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not using that card. I use the card when I can. Like at Costco, they won't let me use my uh, card, so I use a check. I like to carry those gigantic uh, publisher's clearinghouse size checks with me when I go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one thing worse than someone paying with a check, and it's usually an older person. They get to the register, and it's like, oh, I had to pay for this, and they proceed to dig through their bag. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a, like it was a surprise that you didn't well, yes. know you were going to have to pay. They well, have a, no, it'll it'll be like you know twenty five dollars and fifty three cents, and they have to have it to the penny. I, so I they have start the digging through for the fifty three cents. Twenty five, thirty five. Wait, 40, can I put 41. one thing back? <laughs> Let me put one thing back. I don't yeah, have break enough. Off one, break off one banana. Break off one banana. Let's see how that works. <laughs> but I guess I guess the new thing that shows my age now is i guess you can all right i i i don't know because i'm afraid to try it i guess you can swipe your card before they're done ringing up your order because i hear now people they're like will you just swipe your card you know yeah, they're like, in a hurry no. to get you to swipe your card it's like dude if i was writing a check you know how long this was take me I'd be happy <laughs> i'm just right i'm swiping a card i want to see what i'm going to pay before i swipe my stupid yeah. card you moron i went to target i went to target today and swiped my card and i'm going shopping tomorrow that's how early it was, you know. I just got it done. I said, "Here, let me just." I'm just gonna do it now, and you know, you got all my money anyway. So I'm just going in for milk, and I'll wind up spending two hundred bucks. So just take the card, and let's just get just to get it over with. Just wait till Target gives you a wristband. Yeah. <laughs> if it's set to my father-in-law's account, that'd be perfect. Well, you know, like the gas stations used to have that. Uh, well, maybe. Mobile and Exxon still do. They have the speed pass where you just wave the little thing and it just charges it just like just like the wristbands at Disney. But I'm like, oh, yeah, that's real good. Somebody's stealing that from me. You know, now there's no, you know, just wave that, you know, cut oh, my finger off, t take my eye out, use my retinal scan, whatever. No. Listen, I, I, I don't know if they have this uh, where you are, Bill, but we have easy pass here, you know, for the tolls. Yeah, yeah we have that, too. Yeah. They're putting in a thing now. Wendy's is going to take Easy Pass on the drive-through in Staten Island. What? You got to slow down to twenty-five miles an hour, and they throw the burger through your window real quick. Or... You, right. You call you ahead. Call them up. Yeah. If, I'll be driving if, the blue sedan. If there's more than three of you, you get to go in the diamond lane. You know. <laughs> get your and get your burger faster. Oh Just my put god. This... Just embed the speed pass in my stomach, okay? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. You have to yell at the speaker real quick. I want a burger fries! 
Uh, oh, man. Then they'll tie the speed pass to your weight. No, you're too fat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It won't work in Wendy's for you, Mr. Robinson. What? <laughs> but, 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 we but, 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 but. We want to see you in the door, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I can only give you the apple slices. <laughs> <laughs> then they'll send you a ticket for distracted driving. Oh, you were talking to the Wendy's people. <sighs> Obamacare has that. mandated apple slices for you, Bill. Huh? What? Yeah, you be, but, you'll, get... but you'll get a phone. Yeah. <laughs> the apple slices are bull. My kid has no interest in that. You know, it's like here, look, here's a fun meal. Here's here's the apple slices and and carrots. He looks at me like, yeah, right. Like this, this is what I want, Pop. I want freaking these four, and he knows. Apple yeah, slices. You know what? If if you could only get the toy with the apple slices, he'd take it. Oh yeah, the toy. That's that's that, that's a bunch of garbage. I, I throw out one of those a week. Look, kids, that, tofu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that's the toy he'll be looking for the next day. Oh yeah, yeah, he's smart. He's smart, mm. you know. Never the fucking, fails. The fucking he chose the uh, at Disney. He chose the. There's I have these little these. You can get a little Mickey Mouse hand that you. It's a keychain, you know, a little stuffed hand. It's just Mickey's little glove. My kid picks Minnie, the sequins pink Minnie hand. I'm like, yeah, you know, so I think you want. I think you want this this one right now. Nah, I like this one, Pop. This is what I want. It's a sequins. Hand. I'm like, oh Jesus! All right, all right. My wife's like, it's fine. He's more. Don't pressure me with you with your your role model things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want the mini. Next thing you know, we'll be getting like a manicure, and I'm like, oh God. And that and that won't even help you with the draft board anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The worst part is like the hand is like ten dollars. I'm like, are you kidding me? Everything there is just yeah, it doesn't totally cost awesome. anything if you use a wristband. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm still trying to use it. I tried to use it today. It's deactivated. My wife's like, you can take it off now. <laughs> you trying to use it on her? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it worked better just a taste of the back of my wrist, <laughs> which, which, would, which would never happen. But, uh, but yeah, I finally took the band off. It, it lost all of its luster after I got out of the park. Oh, oh I thought you meant your wedding band. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Ooh, whoa. No, that, that, that one, if I take that off, it's like a disturbance in the force. She'll know. No, no. She'll even know if I'm staring at another pair of boobs somewhere. It's, I it's... took mine off years ago because uh, your boobs. I... Are... <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, those have uh, come recently in the past few yeah, years. Yeah, those have, those have come back. You know. No, but when, I, uh, but when I was an electrician, you know, I was like, well, you know, I can't really work with gold in my hands. I work around electricity. You know, it could shock me. Blah blah blah. Now I'm too fat to put my ring back on. So, I, you know, try. I tried that one too when I when I uh, when I had surgery. I was like, "Oh yeah, my ring is swelling up, my hand's swelling up." She's like, "Bullshit, put it around your neck." <laughs> All right. So I had, there's I had other things that'll slide over. Whoa, whoa, honey, whoa, easy. <laughs> put it on your neck. All right, but no, it's still here. It doesn't work to buy anything though. It just takes money away. <laughs> it's the anti band. Well, yes. well, yeah. Actually, it works just like the band. It does take all the money away. <laughs> yeah, amazingly so. You know, try try getting divorced. Then you see it really take all the money away. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I put it on, I've been poor. Back to the bin.
Guys, I don't know if I got La's list. I mean, we're la, la. There we go. Dario? La, la, la. All right. Thank you. La, la, la. It's, it's pro- probably one of the dumber comic <laughs> traditions, you hear, but. You have to hear Dr. Bill do it. It's just not the same. La, la. There you go. The only guy with an Arnold Schwarzenegger cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Come on, you know, I, was, I was listening to Dinner for Geeks this morning, and uh, something came up with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Scott immediately went to the, well, I'll leave that to Dr. Bill. Yeah, I think I heard that <laughs> one the other day, too. My, my Arnold gets no respect at all. <laughs> I don't think Which the real one was that? Was that the Thanksgiving the one? No yeah. Because oh, I'm... The real Arnold doesn't get any respect at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's not doing a podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I can but, do a podcast. It'd be the best podcast ever. Yeah, but 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 my home state voted him in as as governor for God's sakes. So well, he's a popular man. Yeah, yeah. And it just shows you that people vote based on personality, perceived personality, not on. Uh, the issues or anything, <laughs> you know, qualifications, none of that comes into play at all. He's that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's exactly why I'm not in the legislature. <laughs> <laughs> had you had you been in one big movie, <laughs> you'd have no problem. I would have made it without a problem. Sharknado, you got my vote if you had a spot in that. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, let's bring this in. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spataro, and as always, I am joined by the Lou Costello to my Bud Abbott, the uh, Jerry Lewis to my Dean Martin, the Harpo to my Zeppo, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And we are joined by my New York Comic-Con pals once again, Dario Gonzalez. Hi, fellas. And David Pascarella. How's it going? So now I have a book to cover. Dario has a book to cover. David has a book to cover. Hmm. One of these things does not belong here. One of these things just isn't the same. As my good friend, the sloth. You could be the hey, hey. Good McMahon, Bill. Just, just sit around and kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll save the back part of the couch for you. So we're getting Dario just as he's returning from Disney, so he's in a real good mood. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, not a good mood vacation being over, but I still have three more days off before I have to go back to work. So, And the rest of us are all getting ready to go back to work tomorrow after a nice long weekend, so we're in a horrible mood. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, poor, poor baby. I feel nothing for you. So. What can I tell you? But uh, at, at the uh, or in the New York Comic Con episode, we you know we got to talking, and uh, basically these two fellas were uh, chomping at the bit to to do a comic synopsis. And who am I to deny them that? So that's why they're back with us today. Anybody got any uh, comic talk to get into before we start talking about our actual issues? Well, it's always always good comic talk. We uh, I found some great Superman uh, back issues that I don't know if you guys have been following on the uh, on the um, Facebook, but I got a chance to actually take them down to Scott in uh, in Orlando. 
Oh, that was fun. Ooh, that's... No, Who's... no, no, don't, don't, don't. That's a touchy subject. Don't, don't, don't say you gave Scott anything for free. That gets oh. mad. They, they haven't heard yet. The... Oh, <laughs> they haven't oh, heard they haven't the heard rant episode yet. Right. <laughs> Oops, never mind. Shh, shh. X day on the free bay. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Well, anybody listening to this show after the fact is going to have already heard. Our uh, e- Avengers email episode, but there was a lengthy discussion that you two are not privy to yet about the fact that Scott and Chris get all sorts of free stuff in the mail, and uh, they do get. A let's lot of just stuff. say the rest of us don't. <laughs> yes, but well, you were rather vocal about that. Uh, I was just calling it like it is, baby. Well, I'll send you guys some airline uh, wings or, or, or a little pretzel Ooh. snacks because that I can do. <laughs> and, and little small bottles of booze. Oh, that's oh, you know that's something to be said for that. I used to have a set of Eastern Airline wings when I was a kid. Ow! Those, those it's the last the... time I flew. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you had to wear goggles, <laughs> leather hats, spin the and spin the blade <laughs> to get it started. Get out and turn that prop, boy. Yes, sir. <laughs> The flight attendants were still young and good-looking instead of old. And, and dudes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, and dudes. I'm, I'm just I'm going to back us up a little bit. I'm just thinking about this now. The more I think about it. So Dario lives, I don't know, 15 miles from me? Yeah. Not once. Not once have I seen, you know, any free books. Never get a chance to wet my beak. He travels hundreds I told you, of miles. I told you. Hundreds of miles to give Scott some books. As it is, I'm going to pack up my latest edition of Jugs magazine, and I'm going to send it to you, okay? <laughs> well, hey, you're getting close, Paul, because you did ask for, uh, well, I don't, you know, you'll just have to bleep it out. You're wanting, you said you don't get <laughs> or shit, so, well, I guess Jugs is good. Jugs is good. I got Jugs, salt and pepper, whatever you need. I got it here. I'll, I'll, I'll drive it over to you personally. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I want them now. I don't know. They're soiled. <laughs> Or we could just take a picture of Bill's boobs and send them to you. Hey. Hey, you mentioned it. <laughs> They're hairy. I don't know about that. Beautiful. Even better. I know more about your boobs than I want to know. <laughs> like a like a primate, like a silverback gorilla. <laughs> you, you could play you could play Diane Fossey. <laughs> and you just uh, observe him through the through the edges and take notes. All right, so we're gonna do books, huh? Books. Books is good. Well, you know what? I, I say let's <laughs> jump right into some books now because I'm afraid of where this conversation might go. <laughs> so, uh, the way we broke it down, David, you have our Marvel. You ready to to start us off? I am ready. <clears throat> okay. The, the book I picked is GI Joe, a real American hero. Number five from November of 1982, and uh, published by Marvel with a cover price of 60 cents. I can actually remember, believe it or not, the day I went to buy this book. It was a fluke, and I just came across it. It was on sale July 27, 1982, according to Mike's Amazing World of Marvel Comics. The writer is Larry Hammer. The penciler is Don Perlin. The inker is Mike Esposito, letterer James Novak, and colorist Stan Goldberg with Thomas P. DeFalco as editor. Our issue title is 
Tanks for the memories. Thanks for ah. the memories. Sorry, that was I couldn't pass that one up. I couldn't see that one coming. <laughs> Neither could they. Bob Hope would be proud. <clears throat> the Bob Hope to my Bing, Bing Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> All that's missing is Danny K. The uh, Danny the... K to my I don't know. Danny K would be Scott. I don't know if that's a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it to Scott to decide. Okay, the book opens up with three of the Joes, Steeler, Clutch, and Breaker, preparing for the team's tank's appearance in uh, the Armed Forces Day Parade in New York City. The only female on the team at this time, Scarlet, is there so all the capabilities of this highly advanced and top-secret tank can be explained to the reader and the potential purchaser of a newly released toy version of this item. <laughs> the MOBAT, or multi ordnance Battle Tank, looks like any other tank of the day, but in reality, it is packed with non-standard state-of-the-art hardware, including a snorkeling system and an extremely loud speaker system. Cobra would apparently curl up and die to get their hands on this tank. As a result of this, the Joint Chiefs are concerned with using it on sensitive missions. The Joe's commanding officer, Brigadier General Flagg, has decided to remove the concern by this brilliant plan he's concocted. By breaching security and putting this top secret weapon in the Armed Forces Day Parade to demonstrate that no one can tell the difference between it and an actual ordinary tank, thus somehow proving that there's nothing to worry about. Flag sends an actual CYA memo to his supervisor by courier revealing this master plan. Cobra intercepts the memo and plans to capture the MOBAD. Flash forward to the day of the parade. The MOBAD is in the parade lineup with a terrible sanding bound band from Springfield and a large Navy float behind it. At a stop to allow crosstown traffic to pass, Cobra strikes. The band begins to unfurl banners to cover the crowd's view, and the float's front opens up to swallow the tank. The Joes manage to escape despite bumper-to-bumper traffic. The band pulls weapons from instruments and pursues. Somehow the Joes actually manage to lose their Cobra pursuers. They also are able to determine that Cobra Commander must be nearby because Cobra troops are talking to him on a short-range radio. They point out that the the MOBAT is carrying no ammo. The Cobras track the MOBAT to Central Park, where it surfaces from under the lake, fires a warning shot, and captures the Cobras. Upon reaching the reviewing stand, Clutch, the driver, picks up some, quote, heavy electronic activity in the area and determines that the Cobra command post is located under the reviewing stand. (laughs) Clutch rams the stand with the tank, causing General Flagg to think he has lost his mind and draw his 45. Flagg spots Cobra commanders in the aftermath, standing amid a Girl Scout troop and doesn't fire. The commander grazes Flagg with a bullet and escapes. Flagg, who was apparently captain of the pistol team, 
let Cobra Commander escape rather than risk shooting him while among the Girl Scouts because, and I quote, we're the good guys. Back at the pit, they bandage up Flag and tell the story of how they escaped and captured the Cobras by having break a pop a bubble into the speak sound speaker system and cause the Cobras to believe it was a warning shot. And that is my synopsis. That is, that is great. <clears throat> I, uh, this is my first G.I. Joe comic that I've ever read. I was trying to always kind of, uh, distrustful of comics that were based on toys but G.I. Joe has been out there for so long I'm trying to think of some other comics that that got their start as toys I think the Micronauts might have might have lasted <laughs> Micronauts and Rom which were both Rom, very right. good series Space Night yeah uh, but I, I I thought it was a lot of fun it, for the first one that I read it took me back this was during like my prime comic book buying days you know uh, and uh it just—it was a fun read. I, I actually really, I really enjoyed it in its own campy sort of way, you know. See, for me, I, I had bought the figures actually as a kid before I found the book, and I came across it in the candy store, and it was like, wow, this is cool. Look at this. This is based on the toys I've got, and you know, oh, a tank in Central Park. This is great. I can't wait to see, you know see this. And I, I loved it. And it was such a low number, you know. It was number five. Wow, you know, my other stuff was Superman, which you were never going to get to number five mm -hmm. back then. Little did I know, thirty years later, we'd have number one out again. Yeah. But uh, I loved this issue as a kid, and it was in my backyard, literally. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, was a. Much. I mean, I used to have hair just like Steelers, with that nice little swoop like that, and it just. <laughs> oh. It was it's what I wouldn't do. But what cracks me up is these guys are, are washing the tank. And and there is uh, Scarlet in her uh, purple and uh, orange jumpsuit or whatever she's wearing. <laughs> these guys are in their military fatigues. She's just doing everything but just kind of uh, just, just dogging on whatever they say about the capacity of the tanks. He basically hates everything and the engines are boring. Big deal breaker. I don't suppose you can plug a Pac-Man cartridge into that. Disco's dead. I mean, I would have pointed that thing at her and just shot her, to be honest. It's like, why are you actually here? Other, yeah, yeah, what she do? other than first to explain to you what's going on, well, why are you here? Yeah, I, I kept thinking of that scene from Cool Hand Luke where at least she should be watching the tank and everyone should be just looking at her, you know, sponging up the tank. But then it's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's just not right. <laughs> See, now, you know, being the old man in the group, you know, when I was growing up, G.I. Joes were 12 inches tall, and you basically had three choices. You had the one with the plastic head, you had the one with the lifelike hair, and then you had the African-American one. That was it. There were three G.I. Joes and nothing more as far as I knew. Not yeah. a lot of enemies to fight. No, no, none. There, there, weren't, there wasn't a bad guy group. No Scarlet? No. There was no, no such thing. I actually had one of those. Uh, I, I, uh, I had one of the big Joes, and I had a like a like a. Uh, it was a craft that it was a boat. It was a vertical takeoff. Um, uh, that's that's like uh, a one man. It's like no, Nirvana. But, it's yeah, to have it, that. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, do you know the one I'm talking about, Paul? 
I, I vaguely remember it, yeah. It had the wing that you could tilt up, and then the engines were on the wing, and so you could pretend that it would go straight up. You could put pontoons on it. You could make it a jet. You could make it a, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, man, I, I, I never know what happened to that. It just, you know, disappeared with all my other stuff from the past. You know, my parents probably threw it away, whatever. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I was uh, I was in the old, the old Joe team, too, Paul. Yeah, I remember, you know, I mean, I was, uh, when G.I. Joe first came out, I was probably right about 20 years old when they started with this G.I. Joe. Right. And, I, I, I think I was probably in sixth grade, maybe, I think, when this stuff came out. Right, this was, this was in the early 80s? Yeah, yeah, 82. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's, figure, well, 82 is when I turned 20, so... I was 19 years old when they started with the, with the the six inch figures and and having all the diversified uh, you know they had the villains and and the different characters which each had a you know their own story behind them mm-hmm. uh, and at that point I at least considered myself as much as I was never too old to buy comics I kind of felt like I was too old to get into this this series and I never really gave it a chance and I know you know a lot of people younger than me swear by it. So yeah, I, this, this was the first the first issue I ever read, and, I, and, it, and it was fun. It was a lot. It was a it was a, a lot of fun. You know, classic classic, you know, eighties uh, artwork that I, I, I remember from my I was buying Spider Man back in those days, you know, and a and a one and done story. I, I love that type of stuff, you know. I'm I'm pretty sure I have the first two issues of the series downstairs with my books, and that was based on uh, the fact that virtually any new series that came out I would buy the first two issues and the first issue was for obvious reasons you know you get the first issue of a series and then if it becomes big obviously it would have some value and the second issue was because uh, as I understood it a lot of times they would drop the print run after the first issue so very often the second issue of of a series would become the really sought after one later so hence mm -hmm. hence of uh, new universe books, I had the same philosophy too. Yeah, I could I could attest to that because, like I said, this number five was the first one I got, and at the time I managed to work my way back. Number two was the one that was a problem to get, and it was maybe within six months after it came out. I spent twenty bucks for it back in 1983. No, well, people want to start making me offers. <laughs> <laughs> he needs the money. I have a mortgage to pay. Yeah. I have kids to send to college. I, I love the Cobra was like located directly under the bandstand. I mean, how the hell? That, that's like Hydra being under my table while I was eating dinner tonight, and I'm not noticing that, you know? <laughs> the the I mean, thing is, it's a great, it's a great story. Like I said, it sucked me in. But looking back now, there's so many things where you say, "Yeah." I mean, really, was was this flag an idiot? That, it's. And, and who was the chick with the glasses? The the, 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 the the foxy librarian that was next to uh that was next to Cobra Commander the whole time. Was she like the accountant? Oh, you know, that's... probably the that was probably the Baroness in disguise. Yes. That was the Baroness. The Baroness. Nice. <laughs> it's good to be she a got, Cobra. She got better looking as the the series went it's, on too. Believe it or little, not. A little plastic <laughs> surgery for the Baroness. She was, she was doing the books, you know, Kathy Goldstein, accountant to Cobra checking over his shoulder we we can't afford a bunker we're actually gonna have to go underneath the bandstand boss you know times tough all right cobra bandstand bandstand (laughs) oh sorry 
And, and you notice if you if you take note on page eleven, would you say the hot dogs were eight ninety nine in Disney? Yeah, you could have got one for ninety cents and a soda for forty five. <sighs> and, and no wristband though. No, and it was during a parade as well. All you needed to do was find a way to get back to nineteen eighty two GI Joe world. Yeah, nothing <laughs> like a dirty water dog and a tank. <laughs> So, does anybody think that uh, General Flag looks like uh, Robert Stack from the airplane movies with the sunglasses on? Oh, exactly. I think that's exactly who he's supposed to look like. And you're just waiting for him to take the sunglasses off. There's another one right underneath it. Because <laughs> <laughs> he never takes the sunglasses off. I don't think he's got them off. Even when they're bandaging his head, you think, yeah. you know, maybe, hey, jackass, maybe we're going to take them glasses off so we can get this uh, wrap around your head. Nah, it's okay. Leave it on. Did he ever take them off? Never. I'm looking through here. They're on like every shot. Well, I, I know that it, I know that if marching bands would have been able to carry like machine guns, I probably would have joined in high school. You know, like like <laughs> you know, forget the batons. Let, let me carry a machine gun. <laughs> what do you guys? What do you guys think of the artwork in this one? It's, so much of the artwork from that time period just seems to to, to, to just kind of. Look the same to me, yeah. You know, it. it, it I love it because it takes me back to, uh, to to those days, you know. And but but it, it's it's fun. I mean, you know, it, it's what it was for for the time. I think. Well, I mean, it's it's drawn by Don Pearl, and he did a run on the Defenders that I liked. So it's not that I don't like his work, but this almost seems to me. Uh, I know eventually at some point, or I think originally the first couple of issues, I think were Herb Trimpey. And it almost seems like he's trying to recreate Trimpy's style and really not doing a great job with it. He does a mean hair swoop on that guy, though, I tell you. <laughs> and I love the throne. If I was an evil henchman, I would definitely want a throne. You know? That's the way to go. Well, the, that that as well, Cobra Commander, when you see him shooting down the mannequins that he's got set up, he apparently is a pretty decent shot, and he couldn't hit the guy at 12 feet either. No, but he's on a throne. I mean, that... I mean, that but he, I, can't afford, he can't afford a real bunker, you know, underground. He has to be under the bandstand, but he could afford this damn throne. Well, you know why? Because they're spending all this money on private couriers. Why don't he pick up the phone and call... Cool. Exactly. You know, I, I I've been a flight attendant for twenty years, and no one has ever handed me microfilm. Never, nothing. He, he probably get... had to choose, though. I'm just probably you know, all right. We we you know we got the budget and yeah. got to cut something out. All right, cut the bunker out, but get me my throne. Yeah. Well, they had the giant that uh, they had to buy that giant uh, navy float to try to <laughs> trap the tank. Yeah, because because no one was going to figure that out. Ugh. God. Well, well, also, when they, they're they ready to shoot at the tank, when they think it has no ammo, okay, let's say you hit the tr tracks and you disable the thing. They're not going to open it up and let you in. How are you going to move it out of Central Park? I can't even move out of Central Park half the time. <laughs> Cobra, I mean, it's, Cobra didn't really think this out very well. No, it was a very, a very poor plan. But, it, but I mean, it's just Wiley Coyote and coming with a Cobra copter with a big magnet on it. <laughs> Bong. In all right seriousness, it, it, it this looks to me like a story that was written for a twelve-year-old. It's at the level of a twelve-year-old now because 
we're people who like comics, we could look at it and kind of appreciate it for what it is. But it's not a deep story. It's it's almost it's almost a Saturday morning cartoon plot. I mean, you could even yeah. argue that it, that it was just a big commercial for toys. Maybe I mean that's that, I don't know if if that was still really you know. I mean, I know that's that's what people say that that it was. I mean, probably not the case so much nowadays because you know GI Joe is still out there in in different uh, venues, you know. But back then, I mean, I'm sure there was a Mobac uh, toy that you could have gotten, you know. Along I with had it. it. Oh, there I you had go. it. It was thirty dollars. It was the <laughs> high end of the line. <laughs> Came with no ammo and just some bubble gum. <laughs> yeah, just like the original. Yeah. And 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 a little speaker so you could make a loud popping noise. Pow. Yeah. That's it my gun. Definitely Cobra needs to train its operatives a little better. <laughs> that and you would think the joint chiefs would be a little more concerned than oh look the tank's dirty. Never mind these guys with guns, you know, with their hands up, marching in front of the tank. Yeah, and I, what was with the guy talking about the choking on Chinese food and his, his Heimlich maneuver? That was, that was Mayor Koch. I'm convinced that that was Ed Koch. <laughs> well, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that picture right now. Yeah, I'm also convinced that it's Ed Koch. Who's the guy to his right, though? Let me see. Some the sort Surgeon of, General? Um, <laughs> he's a military guy with a white... Uniform. Well, that's 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 a navy uniform. Yeah, that would be like a yeah. Admiral, got to be an admiral. Uh, but, but that's no one in particular because that almost looks like it's the way it's drawn. Like it's trying to be, you know, like when it was when it was being drawn that they were trying to get somebody in particular's face. Mm. I'll tell you who the face looks like to me, but it's not navy. General Curtis LeMay. It looks like. Looks a little like my father-in-law. Maybe. After he found out I charged everything to his wristband at Disney. <laughs> I'm thinking that you'd see his gun drawn then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I and then just below that panel, I mean, this, this woman who's leading the uh, parade. The band? Oh, yeah. She's, she's really into it. <laughs> she's high-stepping, baby. No kid, man. What's with the purple uniforms, though? She's got a pretty big baton there. Either that That's or right. it's a big Q-tip. <laughs> it's cute pounds, Q tip. Because he bought it at Costco. You know, you only get one, but it's really big. Yeah, you could use it for six years. Yes. <laughs> Other things. You would think they'd have a military band. Uh, why when you can get these guys with these purple suits? Yeah, exactly. And purple does reproduce a lot better in comic books of the day. Well, purple guys in purple are always villains. Sometimes. Except for the Hulk with his purple pants. And, and the last thing I'll, I'll throw in there to spoil uh, a book I really like, like, to tell you the truth, is I looked up uh, Armed Forces Day is in May. And I, <laughs> I couldn't find any Armed Forces Day parade in New York City after 1967. So, go figure. Yeah, I don't ever remember an Armed Forces Day. And, and one more piece of what, useless what was that, <laughs> What the heck was that? <laughs> I don't did, know. did somebody strangle a guinea pig? What was that? <laughs> was that your cat again trying to go, Bill? No. <laughs> <laughs> and back to our regularly scheduled show. Where were we? 
No Armed Forces Day Parade. And that's it. Anybody else got anything on this? Other than the fact that, it, you know, it, 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 I don't think it's greatly, I don't think it's really, really well written. I don't think it's really, really well drawn, but it's just fun. Yeah, fun is a good way mm-hmm. to put it. All right, so why don't we move on to our DC. And Dario, you're on the air. Oh, God. All right. Well, I, uh, I actually took the, uh, took the plunge and decided I was going to do a comic that I had bought in a lot years ago, and I never actually read it. It is, and I don't think it's ever been covered. It's Wonder Woman, believe it or not, number 219. Uh, it's got a really cool cover with uh, Wonder Woman all tied up with her lasso, and she's got this come-hither look, and she's going, uh, what are you waiting for? I've made myself helpless. Now kill me. And uh, it has, of course, all the evil henchmen ready to shoot her, and it introduced me to a uh, a character that I'd never that I barely knew anything about the elongated man who uh, turns out to be quite a perv in this issue. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's 1975, and uh, you know Ford is president, and he's gotten you know tried to get us. He's been taken two pops at and hasn't been assassinated, and there's been convictions in the Watergate trial and the thriller in Manila is going on, and apparently someone is kidnapping all of the feminists in uh, the United States. Um, the issue starts off with the elongated man who, again, like I said, I know next to nothing about. I don't know if he's uh, if he came before Reed Richards or if he was uh, after Reed Richards, but he is videotaping and uh, following Wonder Woman around, because apparently she's been kicked out of the Justice League for one reason or another. And it starts off with a woman in the middle of uh, traffic in New York in a pair of Cruella DeVille boots. And she's about to get run over by a, uh, a truck when out of nowhere, Wonder Woman, who is on the wings of her invisible jet, swoops in and lassos this woman and uh, actually stops the truck from hitting the woman and the truck makes a, a great sounding sound effect just sprawling which is I guess what would Alaska would make if it stopped the truck the woman is dazed but apparently has time to change into a pair of fishnet stockings that uh, she didn't have on the first page which I thought was interesting and uh, in, instead of being grateful this woman is really pissed and she wants to tear Wonder Woman apart so Wonder Woman just uses her lasso and, and uh, you know lassos her and I don't know if the lasso has a mind of its own or if she's just a really good roper. I'm starting to think the lasso has a mind of its own. And he lassos this woman and tells her to go home peacefully and says, that's very weird. I really should help this woman. I don't know why she attacked me, but I really don't have time. I've got to go to work as Diana Prince now and just kind of lets her go uh, to work. And which is kind of a shitty thing to do, I think. Um, but then we go back to the space station where um, Elongated Man is, again, pleading his case because he has brought his videotape machine to show his stalking of Wonder Woman for the past week. And he gets onto it, and Wonder Woman is going to work uh, as Diana Prince. I guess she's a type of a UN uh, ambassador or works for the UN at the time. Um, and uh, she is getting ready to go because they're having a big conference of feminist women being hosted here at the UN. And 
apparently some of the famous feminists across the United States, uh, the world have disappeared, just vanished. And actually dematerialized is the, uh, is the word that they, uh, that they use. And Morgan Edge is apparently her boss, who I guess during this time he was everybody's boss. I mean, I think Superman was working as a, uh, as a newscaster, which was great for his secret identity, really a good choice on his part. So he wants Diana to go and keep an eye on some of the famous feminists in the United States. And he says that even though it is a hard job for a woman, I think that uh, you're going to do fine. He wants her to keep track of uh, Betty Jo, what is it? Uh, Billy, uh, it's a ripoff of Billy Jean King, uh, the, the tennis player, of course, the Battle of the Sexes with Bobby Riggs. And uh, he was going to keep an eye on her and keep an eye on another uh, feminist. And the elongated man is, of course, videotaping all of this with his freaky head and his hands holding a videotape from the floor up to uh, up to the building. So he's got to she's got to protect Billy Joe Kane and Margaret Matthew. And she goes to do this. And while the elongated man is signing an autograph at the tennis match, suddenly uh, Billy Joe Kane disappears and is gone. And. Wonder Woman decides that she is going to investigate this after the crowd starts to get crazy. The feminists in the crowd are really ticked. Wonder Woman's solution is to just make her lasso kind of encircle the crowd and command them to stop. And it works. And she then goes over to a police woman and says, Hola, sister, which I guess she did a lot in those days. I didn't know she was Puerto Rican. Uh, and asks this policewoman if it's okay if she goes into the locker room, the woman's player's locker room. And the policewoman says, why, sure, of course. And the elongated man is going to follow her into the locker room, where, of course, he has his video camera, and she finds a clue, which is a receipt in B.J. Kane's locker that says that they are going to the conscientious number three saloon and... Uh, it's a beauty parlor for the liberated woman. And she's having a shampoo and set done for $55. And Wonder Woman is saying, what would a woman like her want to go to a place like a beauty parlor? Because it doesn't seem like somewhere she would go, but she makes it up that she's gonna go to the beauty parlor. And of course the elongated man with his wife, Sue, go to the beauty parlor as well where a bunch of people, uh, dudes working at the salon, dressed like evil scientists, are washing the women's hair in green shampoo and talking like it's not important what your husband wants, only what you want. And Diana is just looking around, and all of a sudden, the next person on Diana's list, her hair turns green from the shampoo, and she is going to have the hairdresser fired and then all of a sudden, poop. She disappears. And the, the uh, stylist speaks into his electric razor, which turns out to be an interdimensional radio. And it's karate chopped out of his hand. And Diana, all of a sudden, in action. And she is beating up all these guys, uh, these hairstylists in the saloon, uh, hair salon. And all of a sudden, one of them whacks her on the head with the bottle of this magic uh, shampoo 
that uh, Margaret Mitchell was the name of the feminist that uh, Matthews was the name of the feminist that disappeared. And while Diana Prince gets whacked on the head with this shampoo, all of a sudden she is transported to another dimension along with the elongated man who had got some shampoo on his hair conveniently as well. And she turns into Wonder Woman while she's in between dimensions. And, well, this is where it gets really interesting. She's transported to another dimension. Oh, God, these names. Where she is greeted by the High Council Misham, I guess. And uh, there are now on the planet or the dimension of Roe where there are two dominatrix waiting in sexy kitten suits and all of the feminists from our dimension are imprisoned behind bars. All of a sudden, uh, Wonder Woman starts to not be angry about this, but happy. And, of course, uh, Mitchum, who explains that she is confused. Amazon, of course. And I love the way every bad guy in every interdimensional comic book has a long Fu Manchu type mustache and a a crazy crazy hat and this is the this is a dimension that that women are much stronger than men but they are enslaved and apparently they hate women because they also have a large patch of like a woman's pubic hair shaved into their forehead as well in this dimension which is unbelievable but there's more to this story as the leader of this dimension tries to explain that here the female, physically stronger though mentally inferior, are kept as slaves. And one day, however, two slaves gained illegal entrance to their master's laboratory where they were both transported to our dimension. And once in our dimension, these women all of a sudden instead of, uh, it's kind of weird, a, a cement block falls on one of the women killing them, and instead of being outraged, the other woman is actually happy and says, ha, 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 Strim has been killed, ha, ha, ha. So it's the exact opposite of what happens in their dimension, where they are docile in our dimension. They, are, they, 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 just, they just laugh and become strong. So upon returning to their dimension, they revolt. So our fearless leaders... Uh, evil plan is to kidnap feminists from our dimension, bring them to his, where the reverse will happen, and they will convince their newly liberated women to go back to being slaves. Well, it turns out that the shampoo that was used in the beauty salon was the catalyst that would transport these women to their dimension, uh, believe it or not. And it gets it gets better because now not only is Wonder Woman stuck there, but he wants to steal her lasso. And the elongated man is filming this, of course, through the whole transaction. And all of a sudden, one of our feminists comes out and starts calming down the crowd. And as I said, the evil leader wants to steal the lasso and control everybody. Well, Wonder Woman has no part of this. She uses her magic bracelets, fighting off bullets, the whole lot. And someone does steal her lasso and manages to tie her up. But haha, it has a reverse effect. Instead of making her docile because she is in another dimension, it makes her strong. And she uses her lasso to whack the evil henchman. And 
rip open the cage of all of the feminists from our dimension, but they no longer want to go because they are, of course, brainwashed and want to stay and kill everyone and want to be slaves. So Wonder Woman smacks the guy around. He'd sooner die than be dominated by women. Wonder Woman grabs the feminists from our dimension, and the only way she can get them out is by lassoing them and dragging them back through the portal. And, of course, both sides of the dimensions blow up, so they get everybody out of the salon in time and onto the wings of her invisible jet. And I can't understand why no one ever rides inside of the jet, why it always has to be on the wings and outside, but that's the way it is. And they, of course, save the day, losing both buildings in both dimensions, and just in time for the elongated man to get out, too, and meet his wife. Diana Prince, as Wonder Woman, saves the day, takes the women to the U.S., uh, to the U.N. conference, where she is congratulated by Morgan Edge again. And, of course, as Diana Prince, she says, and Wonder Woman... And the last part, the elongated man goes back and reports to the Justice League that he has his vote to let Wonder Woman back in. But, of course, they're not quite ready yet. I'm not sure what she did to get thrown out, but she has one more trial to do between the choice of Hawkman and, I believe, it's the Atom. And they're going to flip a coin to see who's going to do Wonder Woman's last trial. And that is it. Uh, interesting Interesting, interesting. I read a Wonder Woman comic. Quite a mouthful, but comes off me thinking that the elongated man is a big pervert. Flockers <laughs> 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 and every chance that he can get. How did they not notice him there? I, I don't know. I don't know how they not. How did his wife say, oh, yeah, honey, you can go ahead and go into that woman's locker. I mean, that that's fine. You know, it, it, it just not going to happen. I guess I should I should have forgot to mention that uh, it's the, the name of the comic was The World of the Enslaved Woman. The story was by Martin Pasco, art by Kurt Swan and Vince Coletta, editing by Stuart Swartz, and it was dedicated to Janet Kagan, who I found out was a sci-fi writer of the time. You know, this, if you take oh, go ahead, sorry, Bill. If you take the guy's name is the ruler of the dimension. Oh. If you put vowels in that word, I think it spells machismo. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Clo or close to it, or machoism, <clears throat> or something like that. There's a lot of stuff in here. I mean, I, I still didn't know Wonder Woman was Puerto Rican. She, she used the hola a couple <laughs> of times, but I guess I looked it up, and that sometimes that's... that's uh, I guess in Amazon talk, that might be, hello, goodbye, how are you? And maybe the Spanish just took it from them when they came up with their language, you know. I don't know. But, but man, it, it was uh, – I had to read it a couple times just to figure out the whole interdimensional play that was going on. And like I said, the uh, evil henchman just cracked me up with the Fu Manchu mustache and uh, – it's it, it's these are bad dimensions, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> this 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 book to me is is an example of what I've talked about in that uh, DC until the 80s was really stuck in the Silver Age. They didn't join the Bronze Age until the 80s. I thought you think about what was going on 
at Marvel at the time, there was some great stories going on in 1975, you know? It was a totally different writing style. It's almost like Marvel understood that maybe comics were kind of going toward an older, you know, more teenage crowd, you know? And and uh, you'd want to think that maybe DC brought Wonder Woman around to kind of bring in girls to comics, but no, it's pretty much just for horny guys. Well, by the time this came around, Marvel had already moved on to its second generation of writers, and you had Steve Englehart and Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, and uh, I'm leaving people out, but you had others also who were, you know, writing the books, and, you know, they were younger, and, you know, a lot of them were in their early 20s at that point. I think pretty much all of them actually were. So they, they were writing more for you know, late teenagers, college kids, trying to, you know, put a little social commentary in some of it, and usually not too heavy-handedly, but every once in a while. Uh, you know, DC didn't have any of that. I mean, this, this, I guess this is their attempt at social commentary, you know, talking about women's lib. Uh, to, to go with Bill's thought on, on uh, machismo... Uh, the woman who killed was St. The woman who was killed was STNM, and uh, Gloria Steinem was a big uh, feminist back then. But it's almost being too cute, you know. Yeah, it, it's 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 almost like a little childish. Yeah, I mean, green shampoo that makes women disappear and go to an alternate dimension, alternate dimension where they will become docile. <laughs> I just. I don't know. It was is kind of absurd, but like I said, I guess maybe it was a product of its time, and there are definitely people that still enjoy stuff like this. And and you know, but to me, it was it was uh, an interesting comic book to make fun of. I think. You know, I, sorry, Bill. No, no, no. no, no I, go ahead. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I do know that there was a point, maybe in the late '60s or early '70s. Where they took Wonder, they thought it would be a good idea to strip Wonder Woman of all her powers and just make her like a karate type of person. That was around 1970 or so. So I would guess that maybe this is following up the return of her powers, and they're testing her to see if she can come back. Because I, I wouldn't know why they would chuck her out otherwise. I'd bring her back just to look at her. I mean, come on. Yeah, a guy with wings, and and and, the, and, and if that's what you're going to look at all day long, you got to have something. So I can't be on the damn satellite or whatever the hell they're floating around in, you know? Well, a couple, well, couple of comments on, on the artwork. Uh, on page four of the book, uh, when he's showing her the pictures of the feminists uh, down in the bottom uh, right, uh, the uh, Israeli diplomat, uh, Minna Golden, <laughs> which is which I guess is supposed to be Golda Meir. Yeah. Uh, doesn't the the picture that he's showing? She looks a I lot a lot like Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> she does look like Robert De Niro in drag, doesn't she? And in on the last page of the book, when we go to the Justice League, the middle row on the right side, what's going? What's up with, with Hawkman's costume there? <laughs> I, I I don't know, but I, I I think he needs to be joined by an Indian chief. A policeman and a construction guy <laughs> and doing a, a dance on on stage, and, and like I said, I just can't get over this elongated man. I guess he's some type of detective <laughs> whose nose whose nose uh, quivers which when, is, when which is yes which is I mean I come on 
Detective wise, he's second only to Batman. Give me the spider sense. I mean, come on. Your nose twitching? Jesus Christ. Have you ever tried? You know, know, I could see Hawkman just jumping up on the table going, JLA, it's fun to be in the JLA. Exactly. I mean, does he have a tunic on right above that? I mean, he he looks like he's wearing a pair of wrestling trunks. I don't know. It, 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 the artwork did nothing, nothing for me really. It, it, it just, it, it, it just, it just looks like every other DC comic book that I've. Now wait, up. wait First. a minute though. Wait a minute. What about that cover though? If, if, if you oh, just take oh, those. I did, I did have to say the cover, the cover. The I, cover's got to be by somebody else because I don't think that's a Kurt Swan cover. No, no, and she has that "come hither" type. Of oh, cover. if you change all the words on this page, this is a completely different oh, page. Absolutely. <laughs> And take the guns out of the guy's hands and, you know, whatever. That's all I'm saying. Hey, I mean, that that's a great that's a great cover. I mean, the, the guy that, that, that um, developed Wonder Woman was um, William Marston, I guess. And he actually was big in inventing the uh, polygraph machine, the lie detector. Yes. So, you know, it, maybe that maybe it worked a lot better than that rope that he, that golden rope that he tried tying around all those thugs that wasn't getting much done, you know. So uh, he came up with that, and he. But do you think? Do we think he was really inventing the polygraph machine? Was he trying to actually make a lasso to make or make a machine to make women do what he wanted them to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the polygraph machine was a nice side (laughs) side effect. You know, at least I can tell if they're lying. You know, Ah, they're just not into me. And yeah, these little graphs tell me that. No matter how tight I tie the rope, I just can't get them to like me. (laughs) Apparently, he had a. they pass uh, out? Had a strange thing where he was married to one woman but they lived with a third woman no uh, that's yes. a comic so that's the comic I would read right there yeah so he had a strange uh, view of feminism let's put it that way yeah just just you know believe in them but test them to make sure they're not lying <laughs> but yeah how does she pilot that jet from outside of it and she, I've never actually seen her in it in any comic book. I mean, I think on the Super Friends maybe she drove it, but, you know, everyone's on the wing. I mean, come on. Isn't there a place you can put these women inside? For God's sakes, it's always on the wing. And I thought standby was bad. I mean, all you get the wing? Give me a break. Those those shampoo bottles, are they made out of glass? <laughs> like, guy, guy cracks that one over her head. It's like all yeah. jagged pieces. But crash. Like a, it's like a saloon fight. <laughs> He's got the broken up piece in his hand. Yeah, and there's and it, and there's good old Ralph Dibney, pervert, in the back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, look at this. Yeah, let me just film this. Oh, God, I got to go into a woman's locker room and a salon on one day? And my wife doesn't care? That's not all that's twitching on him. I'll tell you, his nose isn't all that's twitching. There's something else twitching on him, for sure. He even comments about her changing her costume while they're traveling yeah. through... Through through dimensions, yeah. And, oh, you should have heard the way the lasso sounded. Woohoo! Yeah. Okay, so just probably... uh, just in, I'm sorry to interrupt, but according yeah. to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, the cover was drawn by Dick Giordano. Mm. Okay. But, no, it's a great cover, but uh, the story is absolutely silly. <laughs> but but it was good. It was it was good for a chuckle. Like I said. I, I love alternate dimensions. I tell you, you can get away with anything there. Yeah, so you take all the 
I could take all the vowels out, out of my name, then I then I would be Bill Robinson. And they still have glass shampoo bottles in alternate dimensions, which which are great. You know, you drop it in the shower, you're screwed. I mean, you got like the sour scene from Psycho. My foot, ow! My foot, ow! And it's green, and it's in another dimension. You try to shave, you end up talking to somebody, and <laughs> ow, ow! What do you want? Not stop talking to me. I'm trying to shave. Turn the razor around, you fool! Turn it off before you try and speak. Interdimensional razors. Give me a break. So she uses a lasso to snap the bars on the. I mean, she uses, wow. she uses something. I mean, that, that I, lasso. that's what I couldn't figure out. Is that well? Well, because the lasso was on her hip. What did she do? Did she take the thing off? Did she take her uh, her little um, oh on her head? What do you call it? Yeah, tiara. tiara. Thank you. Did she use her tiara? Maybe she still had one of those glass shampoo bottles and, and <clears throat> at the bars. No, that's the tiara. Yeah, it, it had to be. It had to be something because. Yeah. Uh, Wow! Don't 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 play frisbee catch with her. Yeah. Absolutely not. Hey, we used a tiara. My hand. Yeah. Well, didn't they she, do that in the Road Warrior? Yeah, yeah. The guy threw the boomerang, and somebody tried to catch it, and it chopped his fingers off. I got it. Uh, they all laughed at him. Yeah. That was a little feral kid played by uh, Chris Honeywell. <laughs> I just want to get a copy of the Elongated Man's beta tape or whatever he, because uh, I'm sure he made like seven copies for himself for future reference. The great well, here's the, that he is. Here's the outtakes. <laughs> That'll be at a different JLA meeting. <laughs> Good God. Shows up for the meeting with the wrong tape. Yeah. Oops. Let's, let's lasso all these women and drag them back to our dimension. Ugh. What are you going to do? The ads were the best thing in this comic, I think. So you had the greatest uh, karate champion. What's his oh, name? yeah, that 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 is uh, that was my. They also had a, an ad for a Razzles. Do you remember Razzles candy? They were like the oh yeah, candy. they were candy and a gum. It gum and candy, but you had to you had to. I, I can't even remember what what the hell. I remember they tasted a little like wax. Well, they, yeah, they they were small little round candy with. Bumps on them, and when you chewed them, they turned into I, gum. Right? Yeah, basically your saliva, you know, <laughs> added liquid to it to turn it into gum instead of just a dry candy. I remember. Wow, that just awesome. sounds so appealing, doesn't yeah. it? It makes makes you want to rush out and buy some. Never. Yeah, it's almost as appealing as Pop Rocks. Was for Count Dante, who was the deadliest man alive that apparently was a master of all types of. Judo, boxing, wrestling, kung fu, karate, and aikido, etc. Which means he knew more. Who could just kill you just by looking at you? I mean, uh, amazing. And this guy was a real dude. I looked him up a little bit on the internet. He was a pretty badass. But uh, a black dragon fighting society man you could become for free. And you hmm. need them to get away from your evil henchmen from other dimensions. How I didn't sign up for lessons is beyond me. What? Are you, <laughs> you could have done all this, man. I would have been a lean, mean fighting machine. So, <laughs> I guess we'll move on from Wonder Woman unless anybody's got anything else on this gem. Well, that's that's it. I just want to take a shower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, try, I'll, I'll, 
we'll move this along so that you sure. can do that. Like <laughs> green shampoo. Yeah, just to just be careful you don't end up in another dimension. <laughs> so uh, my book for tonight is The Authority Number 1, which has a cover date of March of 1999, had a cover price of $2.50 or $3.95 for our Canadian neighbors. Sorry, Ken. Hey. Yeah. Although I've heard much about The Authority, I'm not really particularly familiar with it. So before I, we get to my synopsis, I did a little research, and here's what I came up with. Uh, the Authority is a superhero comic book series published by DC Comics under the Wildstorm imprint. It was created by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch and follows the adventures of The Authority, a superhero group team mainly composed of Ellis-created characters from the series Stormwatch. Warren Ellis's version of Stormwatch was heavily influenced by DC's Vertigo line and its notable authors such as Grant Morrison and Garth Ennis. Ellis injected more sexual and horror elements, thinly disguised political commentary, and criticisms of the United States government into the stories. Conveniently, most of the Stormwatch characters Ellis had not created were killed, killed off and the survivors became the main cast of Ellis's new series. The United Nations disbanded Stormwatch, Stormwatch and the very last scene featured a conversation between the former members of Stormwatch and served to introduce the concept of the Authority. The original lineup consisted of Jenny Sparks, a British woman who could generate and turn into electricity, Jack Hawksmore, who was psychically bonded to cities and could communicate with them, Swift, a Tibetan woman who possessed wings and sharp talons, Apollo, a bioengineered Superman pastiche, Midnighter, a bioengineered Batman pastiche, who possessed the ability to foresee his opponent's moves in combat. The Engineer, a scientist who had replaced her blood with nine pints of nanotechnology and could create solid objects with it. And The Doctor, a Dutch drug addict and shaman who possessed the combined powers of the hundreds of shamans who came before him. That's the, the history I came up with. So it's pretty heavy stuff, I guess. But let's get to the book. The cover is by Brian Hitch, Lauren Dupoy, and Paul Neary. It shows the seven members of the team with a kind of a peculiar perspective. The Midnighter is in the foreground, and he's looking to the right, and the rest of the team is all behind him and facing and or moving up and to the left. No one is looking or face, looking towards or facing the reader, and it's kind of difficult to tell exactly what's going on. And uh, as best as I could tell, Stormwatch was not a very highly distributed series, and I can only guess that their marketing scheme for this book was to sell it based upon the creative team, because there's nothing, not a lot about this cover that would make it seem all that enticing to the average reader who was not familiar with the characters. The story is written by Warren Ellis, penciled by Brian Hitch, inked by Paul Neary, uh, colored by Laura Dupoy, uh, lettered by William O'Neill, and edited by Rochelle Brizenden. The story opens in snowy Moscow, where things appear to be quiet and kind of dreary. Suddenly, the calm is broken by some bright shooting objects heading towards the city. The shooting objects, which turn out to be humanoid, land explosively in the city. Those men and women shoot beams from their eyes and hands, 
and incinerate people and buildings. The attackers are wearing black tights from their feet to their necks, with only a white circle in the center that has three small white circles along its arc. Following the devastation in Moscow, the scene shifts to, a New, York, to New York City, where a man and woman are sitting and monitoring the devastation and talking about how nothing can be done to stop it. It appears that they are former members of the Stormwatch and are now running a superhuman security and intelligence advisory office because the UN will no longer fu- excuse me will no longer fund Stormwatch. As they drone on, Jenny Sparks comes in. She's wearing a pair of white slacks and a white sports jacket with a, a shirt sporting the Union Jack. She talks to them for a moment and we cut to Gamora Island where we join a monologuing man who I would say is drawn as a politically incorrect Asian stereotype. He, he has flowing robes, a Fu Manchu mustache and beard combo, uh, several, several inch long painted fingernails and a large Pope type hat. Isn't that the Yellow Claw from Marvel Comics? It's very similar, isn't he? And is that Gamora Island or Gamora? Uh, you know, I, Gamora, the big I giant read, turtle. I read it as Gamora, but. Oh yeah, okay. Maybe it's Gamora. I don't know. It's, it's either Gamora, the uh, Guardians I think of the Galaxy, Gamora. or Gamora, the big turtle. Looks like <laughs> Take your choice. Looks like he should be selling gremlins. You know. Yeah. <laughs> he should be selling Mogwais. Yeah, Magua, of course. Oh, if you notice, his earring has uh, the same symbol. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yes. He, he's telling no one in particular how he and his two brothers took over their country and made it into an island factory for terror. He also tells us how he killed his brothers shortly after that, but honors their memory with the symbol of a circle with three knots. I'm sure they're very happy to have sacrificed their life for such an honor. <laughs> And you can, the, you can order the earrings from the Shome Shopping Network if you want. <laughs> or the website. Yeah. He, he tells a large gathering of his black-suited followers that it's time for them to hit their second target and sends them off. At this point, we rejoin Jenny Sparks and our two agents. She tells them that she and the rest of Stormwatch have decided not to be idle. She gets some information on the attacks from them and transports to the carrier, where she meets Swift and Jack Hawksmore. Swift has large brown wings similar to the ones on the Angel of the X-Men or Dawnstar from the Legion of Superheroes and is wearing a skin-tight sleeveless jumpsuit. Hawksmore is wearing a suit and an overcoat. Hawksmore, whose power is to somehow connect with cities, goes to Moscow to assess the damage and in doing so it leaves him with a bloody nose and he finds the symbol of Gamora. From there, we join Jenny Sparks as she meets with the Engineer, who's a woman with a metallic body who looks kind of similar to Jocasta from the Avengers. She asks the doctor, she asks where the doctor is, and we quickly join him where he's doing some type of spirit walk and speaking to the spirit of another shaman. The doctor is a red-headed man who wears strange-looking violet-colored jacket and, with a belt and several uh, several bags attached to it, and he's got these strange eye. Uh, goggles that he wears. We cut back to Jenny and the engineer sitting on a couch, having an expositional dialogue between themselves. And then we cut to our Batman and Superman analogs, the Midnighter and Apollo. There doesn't really seem to be 
any effort at subtlety with regard to who they are designed to emulate, other than the fact that Apollo has white hair and his suit is white and orange and he doesn't have a cape. But otherwise, it's pretty obvious that it's supposed to be Batman and Superman. And I understand that they are... uh, It's not hit upon in this particular issue, but I believe uh, their characters are uh, gay lovers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We then get a little background on the headquarters, the carrier which seems to be an interdimensional shield helicarrier on steroids. On board, after some period of time, the engineer finds signs of another attack that's on in London. And so the attack starts the same way, but this time the authority come to meet our attackers who are taken out with extreme prejudice. There's one particular shot that's kind of disturbing that shows uh, Jack Hawksmoor hitting one of them so hard that his head literally rips from his neck. And you see a portion of his spine still attached to the head as it's coming out. Uh, we close the story with our with a team group shot and Jenny Sparks declaring game over. So it's I know this story continues that this is part of an arc and I guess they're going to go after uh, our yellow claw guy, but uh, you know it kind of feels like a one and done story almost because of the way it ended. I've got this arc. I bought this when it first came out, but it's. <clears throat> I haven't read it, what, this came out in 99. I haven't read it since then, so I'm, I really don't remember how, it ter- how, how things you know, play out. Yeah, I think, it was, I think when I looked it up, I think it said it's a three-story arc, or maybe a three-issue arc, or maybe four. Uh, I don't know. It's, it just seems that this book... I'm sorry? It, see, it, it, Ellis can be... It's, it's so cerebral. I mean, it's like... It took me a while to figure out the whole interdimensional plane that they were sailing on, and and uh, it would definitely wasn't a comic. I, I think since I had no history with the authority, it, it was kind of tough to, to to pick up and figure out what was going on in this in this book. You know. Yeah, it it seems to me that this is a, a book that almost has to be read with a thought process about what was going on at the time because. It, it, it's got some of the elements of the deconstruction of the superhero stories that's so common now, but was not really, you know, quite so, uh, quite as much, you know, back then when this came out. And and it almost, you have to read it almost, you know, take some of the jaded view off of it to enjoy it as it was meant to be enjoyed, I guess. But I always found Ellis to be almost like, uh, his, his attitude towards the readers was almost kind of an Alan Moore light attitude. I, I never felt like he, he respected his audience. Kind of like, I, if you get it, great. If you don't, uh, whatever. No, and, no, if you, if you get it, great. And if you don't, obviously you're too stupid to get what I was saying. Yeah, like, and that's well, the well, yeah, I got from it. When every, every, every uh, you know, character seemed to be a ripoff of another character somewhere else, you know. Uh, which is dead. But I, I did like the Asian... Uh, Super villain, uh, Kazan. Uh, he was great. He had every stereotype that you could actually put in an Asian uh, supervillain. I went right down to the rings, to the uh, the long chopstick fingernails, and the 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 hat. You know, Chinese takeout hat upside down. I don't know what that was. Uh, it was all there. It was all there. The flowing robes. I mean, it's great. That and definitely. If it was a movie, he would have spoke with the uh, accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they hit all the nails on the head right there. 
I'm almost convinced there was a character exactly like him on Get Smart Ones who had poison, <laughs> poison fingernails or something like that. Yeah, and, and, and you throw in ninjas, you can't go wrong. I mean, the Kuroshi knives, as he put it, that these guys would were, were holding up. I don't know. what the, Were they Ginsu's? I mean, what? Are you going to take over the world by cutting through a tin can and then slicing through a tomato and then, hey, everyone's just going to fall at your feet with these, with these swords that I've never heard of and I couldn't find anything about, you know? Terrific. Now, on, I'm I'm sorry to go back to this just because it's, but it, but it's got my memory going a little bit. On, on, on the Get Smart episode, wasn't it? Wasn't the villain called the Craw? And then people would say, "You mean the Claw?" No, 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 the Craw. I think it was <laughs> the Craw. And now, did Bernie Copel play him? No, I don't think it no. was. I, no, I, no, I, no, only vaguely. No. I just remember that line, but like. He'd say his name, and and people would just assume that he was, you know, the stereotypical Asian person speaking with the heavy accent. And I'd say, you mean the claw? No, 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 the craw. <laughs> that's all. That's the only thing about it I can remember. Oh God! Just what the hell is a carrier that can fly twenty five dreams per second? What is that? Well, he's setting up his own. Reality there. Five dreams. Well, I mean, and the size of it was just ridiculous. If I remember, how many people were on it? Like five. Never fight. Never fight each other. Seven, I guess there were. Seven. Okay, members on the team. And it's kind of a lousy power to have the, the 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 power to absorb the power of an entire city and never be able to wear shoes. But you can wear a fancy sh- a suit, you know, and look great, but you're not going to be able to wear shoes ever. And then you could rip people's heads from their spines. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, no. I mean, hey, I'd not wear shoes either if I could rip people's heads from their spines. Yeah, I dumped a quick link to the claw or crop. <laughs> Dude, Well, it wasn't Bernie Coppell. No, but uh, on page, uh, what is it, 19? It, it just just a page you gave us. Like It's the first appearance, additional episodes, affiliation, gender, family, defeated by, famous quote, not the craw, the craw. <laughs> <laughs> Years ahead of its time. Okay. Now, now on, please uh, go ahead and forget I did you. No, that's okay. On page 19, the ship they're on, does it look like a shark that's eating some bad sushi or something? It looks kind of like a parrot. It's just really weird looking, uh, you know. Yeah, it, Almost it is. like it's just out there. But it travels 25 dreams per second. But can it call a apple? <laughs> yeah, can it, can it <laughs> cut through a, a tin can? <laughs> Cuts through tree bark. Yeah. Slices this tomato. Depends on what kind of dream you're having, I guess. But man. Yeah, well, the so- doctor's got the red glasses. He's got like the John Lennon. They look like John Lennon circle glasses, <clears throat> but made in the goggles. But there's also, it looks like there's nothing, there's no uh, earpieces, and it doesn't look like there's anything connecting one to the other. No, they're just like stuck on his eyes. And they, hmm. and they look thicker. They look almost like, uh, you know, like binocular lenses. What do you guys think of the art? 
I like Brian Hitch's art. Uh, I don't find his storytelling to be that great, though. Yeah, he was on the Fantastic Four for a while, wasn't he? He was on it when Mark Miller was writing. Yeah, it. I was not a fan of the writing. I I, I kind of liked the art, but but the writing on the Fantastic Four at the time was just terrible. It, I, I couldn't. Isn't this the same team that did the Ultimates? Miller. Except we had Miller. Uh, we had yeah Miller yeah. and Hitch, and I think Ellis might have written one story arc. Well, I think Neary. I don't know if Neary was the inker. Or I think, I think it was. Might have been. I'm not sure. I know Miller and Hitch did a, did a run on it, and I think Ellis may have done a run as well. Doesn't Neary usually team up with Alan Davis though? Maybe that's where I'm. Like from uh, Excalibur. Yeah, that's where that that was it. What I thought was uh, was Excalibur for sure. That's what I'm thinking. The sinker was with him. I right, well, I guess we could look that up too. But it, it, it gave me a lot of flashbacks to Excalibur, which I loved, right down to Captain Captain Britain's outfit, minus the John Travolta suit. <laughs> yeah, but on the last page, she has a different outfit on, or a different shirt underneath the John Travolta suit. She was she was back in London, so she didn't need to tell anyone British, you know. You know I'm British. Yeah, there's a Union Jack on your on your blouse. I can tell. Well, between the shirt and the cigarette, she reminded me of uh, maybe a predecessor to Manchester Black from the uh, Superman comics. Well, the, my understanding is that story is supposed to be a takeoff on the Authority. Okay, there you go. So there, that 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 connection may be intentional. Hmm. Uh, anybody else got anything else on this? Going once. <laughs> I was just trying to look up. Alan Davis wasn't there. I could have swore. Just trying to see who did the inking, but I'm not finding anything. I guess I could go to Mike's World. Vamp, vamp, Paul, vamp. Uh, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done with it. I'm through. The hell with you. The hell with you. Come I shouldn't on. do this anymore. The people don't like my Arnold. <laughs> oh, that's not true at all. Uh, you're the preeminent Arnold two true freaks guy. That's well, you're the one. Me. You're the one that you're the man running the show now, though. <laughs> At least according to Tom Harris. <laughs> Him and uh, and and Andy from a letter we haven't had a chance to read on on the air yet. Oh yeah, that's true. I am the man. <laughs> yes, Paul. <laughs> Paul Neary, yes, Paul Neary was the inker. There you I go. I knew that's why it looked familiar. On Excalibur? Yes, he was the inker on Excalibur. And that's exactly what I thought of when I looked at it. I said, this looks a lot like Excalibur. Man, I did love those comics. I never got into Excalibur. No, I I really liked them for, for a while. I, I think I have a whole run of them somewhere. If somebody let me know like which issues are the ones to... To read in that, I'd be interested. I mean, the first, the first, phew, the first forty, fifty issues are great. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. have to, I have to give that a shot. To put it on the, on the very long list I have of books that I should be reading. Especially since nowadays I have less and less interest in what's coming out new on the stands. So, getting getting uh, recommendations like that work well for me. Yeah, I feel the same way. What are you reading now that, that that's uh, new? Uh, I 
have fallen behind <clears throat> on my Superior Spider-Man, but I was really enjoying that. Two issues behind on that, and I really am enjoying that too as well. I have the comics here, I just haven't re- read them, but I really yes. am enjoying that. That's about the only thing out there right now that I'm just that, and I still read The Walking Dead, but uh, but that Superior Spider-Man, I'm really enjoying it, surprisingly enough. And I have, I have a couple of other things I've been getting, but I haven't read anything, and I haven't read anything new in a while. And uh, so I can't even say, oh, you know, I can't even point to things and say what I'm enjoying right now because I just, I've been uh, mostly going with old stuff. Nothing wrong with the old stuff. That's why we're nope. here. That's that's why we, that's why we do this show and not uh, not some current review show. Yeah, give me a bottle of Green Magic interda- Interdimensional Shampoo, and I am there, baby. I wonder if you could put that <laughs> shampoo on your head and then get to the. Uh, Get to the ship from the authority. <laughs> I, I get my GI Joe hair back, maybe. And then you end up in Central Park. Yeah. <laughs> Selling hot dogs for ninety cents. Sheesh. Right, I guess we're good. Is yeah. that an ending? <laughs> That's yeah. We'll leave it at that. Right now, this is where Scott's voice comes in and says, thank you very much for listening to our show. (laughs) Until next time. Once again, I couldn't be here. Oh, sorry. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.